the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome in to the After Fourth of July show for Woods and Water, South Carolina. Hope you had a great fourth. Hope if you were out on the water, you're safe. Hope you're out there now. Be safe. Tomorrow be safe. And uh, I want you to be safe on the water. And get that by now. Uh, pretty, pretty cool. We're gonna we're gonna do something today. I, I've gone back into the the uh, history and pulled up a few interviews. We're gonna listen to Sammy Davis, who is the real Forrest Gump Medal of Honor winner. Uh, just a great interview that we did with him a few years ago. And uh, then I pulled a couple of more from right here in South Carolina. We're going to talk to, at the time, he was a colonel with the 20th Fighter Wing Tigers down at Shaw Air Force Base. And this was a connection with uh, Salute from the Shore that happens every year in South Carolina. And uh, and then we're also going to listen to um, Colonel Gandhi from McIntyre National Guard Base. I just thought it would be nice on the 4th of July weekend to to be patriotic. And, and I've been honored on this show to... To meet some of these people, to talk to them, to walk around an airplane with them, or get a picture with them with their Medal of Honor, and uh, I thought maybe you'd like to hear some of these if you hadn't heard them before. So while you're out enjoying the Fourth, and I'm out enjoying the Fourth, let's listen to a little bit of a few of the people who have made our country great, who a few people who keep our country safe to this day, and um, honor our men in the military and the sacrifice they've made and the history of our country. So hang on, great show. See you after the break. South Carolina. If you've listened to the show for any length of time, I have a wide variety of guests on here, not only from the outdoors, but uh, from other walks of life. And you know also that I like to travel. And one of the trips I took was I went down to the National Rifle Association Convention in Atlanta, Georgia, a few months ago. And wouldn't you know it, you walk around a corner, something catches your eye, and you meet someone like Sammy Davis. And if you don't know who he is, you've probably seen him on your TV. But we'll save that for the end because I want everybody to listen to what he has to say, and then we'll tell you where you've seen him. But, Mr. Davis, welcome to Woods and Water, South Carolina. It is an honor to have you on the show. It's an honor to be here with you, brother. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's You're a busy you're a busy man. I mean, when we talked, uh, you told me you 200 days a year on the road speaking. Yes, sir, at least 200 days a year traveling and speaking, trying to encourage America to stand up and take part in America. Which is one of your, and, and I don't mind starting off with this, it's one of the, the tabs on your website. It's called The Promise. And yes, it, sir. It is, um, it'll make you tingle. It's really, it, it gets to you that much, especially if you're a patriotic type American. Take just a minute and talk about The Promise. 
Well, the promise is what all of us feel in our heart, that we need to stand up and take part in our country. For all those who have served our nation in the past, it's one of the debts that we owe them. That's what I feel in my heart. So that's one of the reasons why we're on the road 200-plus days a year, traveling and trying to encourage America to stand up and take part in this great nation. And that is part of the promise that we can do this. So let us all accomplish that. You are a Congressional Medal of Honor winner. In fact, we're coming up on almost 50 years. November 18th, 1967 uh, was yes, the, the date you went in in 1965 and just a year out of high school. But you come from a long line of, of military servicemen. Uh, you know, your grandfather in the Spanish-American War, your father in World War II, brothers in Korea and Vietnam. Was there any question in your mind about whether you were going in the military or not? Oh, no, sir. I knew I was going to serve. I, that's why I wanted to, as soon as I graduated from high school, I joined. Uh, they couldn't get me in until September 28th. So I had a whole summer there. To I, I went to work in the oil field. Oh, wow. Made lots of money and got really physically in shape. <laughs> I bet you did, because you didn't start out at the top. You probably started out low man on totem pole. Definitely started out a low man on the totem pole. <laughs> well, take us through, I mean, I don't know where to start asking you questions about what happened. I, if you would just take it and, and tell us the story of that battle, that two hours of your life that's almost 50 years ago now. Well, sir, they, there were a reinforced heavy weapons battalion of NBA and 42 artillerymen. Now, we did have segments of infantry, of our infantry around us, okay. uh, but there were only 42 artillerymen. And the enemy decided that they were going to take our howitzers away from us, our 105 howitzers away from us. And we decided that we weren't going to let them. So they hit us at 2 o'clock in the morning. Wow. And that's when they started mortaring us and after the, the the mortaring lasted for half an hour exactly okay it started at two and ended at two thirty. and i remember that because i looked at my watch when it started and then all of a sudden i mean it was very intense mortaring okay. and then at two thirty exactly it quit and i looked at my watch again and go wow two thirty exactly well that told me that it was a real timed right thing that you know that something was going to happen and then sure enough from across the river that's when we seen all the movement and the people shouting you know gi tonight you're going to die so so all so all this took place at night yes sir (laughs) two o'clock in the morning two o'clock in the morning now you were an you were a mortar man uh artillery artillery man um And you fought them off with the artillery. You fought them off with a regular rifle, machine gun. Yes, sir. And they teach you to do all that in basic training. You put together, you you did everything they taught you how to do all the way through, didn't you? Most certainly. Reinforced the belief that that's what they teach you because you're going to need it. <laughs> and we did. <laughs> uh, now, they, they came at you from two sides. Was there, in your mind, I guess, I don't know if you were too busy to think about it, in your mind, was there ever a thought that we're going to lose this? 
Well, I never, I don't remember thinking that we're going to lose. I remember thinking that I probably would not survive the night simply because that's where the main force was coming across was right in front of my gun. So I thought, well, but I'm not going to quit trying. Right. Because I knew if I quit trying that the guys that were further behind me wouldn't have a chance either. So that's why I did my very best. I did for my brothers what I knew in my heart they would do for me. And you were wounded numerous times, numerous places. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> I was blowed up, burnt, shot. But you don't lose till you quit trying. That's right. And that, that was one of your – when we talked to you in Atlanta, you had a saying that you that you told my me and my daughter, Taylor, and that was what? You don't lose until you quit trying. That's it. That's no matter it. what you're faced with in life, truly, you don't lose until you quit trying. You're right. You're so right. And you, of all people, would know because you keep trying. Yes, now, sir. there's a, you know, besides being wounded, staving off attack from, you know, the North Vietnamese, you don't swim. Oh, no, sir. I knew how to swim. Oh, okay. But you were wounded too much to swim. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. My back was broke. My ribs was crushed on the right side. Uh, my body wasn't working well. That's why I... But well, if I take the air, if I get the air mattress, you know, blow it up and take it across, that at least I can get across and get the guys back. So that's what I used was an air mattress. Why were the Americans on the other side of the river from you? Was that like that the was our infantry on the front guys, lines? They were over there doing their job. Normally, when infantry is sent in to protect the artillery, it's okay. it's one of the great jobs. That means they can, you know, cool out for <laughs> four to six hours or whatever. And okay. Get a, get a little bit of rest because normally the enemy don't mess with the artillery because we've got big guns. Right. But that night, that's what they wanted was those big guns. They wanted to load them on the sandpans and take them into Saigon for what would would be Tet of sixty eight. Okay. Okay. Now, so you're all the wounds you've got. You blow up an air mattress. You go across the river. You bring three American wounded men back. Yes, sir. You found another gun, howitzer to use, and you kept on fighting. Yes, sir. For two hours. Well, actually, they didn't break contact until about 8 o'clock in the morning was the last contact that I can remember having with them. And by 9 o'clock, we were getting dust-offs in to get our wounded out. So it was actually a few more hours than just two <laughs> the two hours were extremely intense okay. and then the rest of the night was they were the enemy was still doing their job now explain to us what a dust off is because not uh, i know as a, a history fanatic or whatever what a dust off is or what's a dust off in the military terms a dust off is when the helicopter comes in to pick up your wounded and they were able to because of the intense fire, they weren't able to come in before almost 9 o'clock, as I remembered. And when we started bringing those in, well, naturally we put our most wounded, sure, most severely wounded that were, but still we thought they were going to survive, you put them on first and get them out to get them to the docks. And then the last ones that you put on are, are the ones that were killed in action. How many men did y'all lose that night? With the infantry and everything, sure. I've, I've never sat down and counted actually, but there were way too many. Way too way many. Way too many. 
almost all, every one of the artillerymen were wounded. Now, we didn't lose any artillerymen. Okay. Not, none of the artillerymen was killed, but unfortunately, a lot of our infantry brothers were. So, How long did you stay in the hospital after that battle? Well, I, they sent me to Dong Tam, and from Dong Tam, they sent me to uh, Japan, and that's where I kind of woke up, woke up. Okay. Realized that, wow, I was in Japan, and they said that they were going to retire me from the Army, send me home, and retire me from the Army because of my injuries, and I told them I didn't want to be retired from the Army. I wanted to go back and be with my brothers. Um, I didn't even know the name of it then. Now I know was I, I didn't have closure because I I passed out I passed out loading my brothers on the helicopter and they just picked me up and put me on the helicopter and sent me out. So, but General Westmoreland interceded on my behalf and allowed me to go back to my unit. And as soon as he said, as soon as I could walk, I could go back to my unit. So. Wow, and I got to go back by oh, let's see, just after uh, New Year's of '69, '68, '68. Yes, sir. Wow. Well, how long and did of you? Of course, I still had lots of. I had packing in my wounds, and so I couldn't do my job as an artilleryman. That's when my captain made me a cook. <laughs> <laughs> Made you a cook? Yes, sir, because I could, I could only stand for just short periods of time. And my first job as being a cook was slicing the, the homemade bread that the cooks would stay up all night baking bread so the kids could have something hot and good to eat in the morning. And they gave me the honor of slicing the bread. And as they would come through the chow line, I would give everybody the bread that was my first job and that was about as long as i could stand then i'd have to go lay back down again and of course had all kinds of antibiotics in me because i had infection right. all through my body i got hit by beehive oh you know what wow. beehive is yes sir but go ahead and tell everybody else what it is oh it's little arrows inch to inch and an eighth long and about the diameter of a pencil lead and they look like little arrows they're they got four fins on the back of them and that's one of our weapons, and it's extremely effective. Uh, according to the Geneva, Geneva Convention, you can only use a beehive round when you are in imminent danger of being overran. And with what happened that night, we felt we were justified in firing it. Well, the guys in the gun behind me, they thought I was dead. Oh, they wow. seemed blowed up and everything, So, right. they, and the enemy was all around, so they started firing the beehive over my position and that's what woke me up when the beehive hit me it because i'd been blown unconscious okay and when the beehive hit me that woke me up and that's what started the process of me seeing what was happening because i was right on the river so the enemy were coming up out of the water and right there and how old were you when this all took place i was 21 years old I had just turned 21 on November the 1st. All the things that I dreamed when I was younger that I'd be doing when I turned 21, that was not one of them. But <laughs> right, I, I'm sure. I did the best of, that I could, best of my ability. And, and, and to those of us who have never served, it's so foreign. I mean, it, you'd like to think you would do it, 
in that situation, but you never know until you're that situation what you'll do. Well, that's a fact. I did for my brothers what I knew in my heart they would do for me. And that's what I, that was the prayer that I kept telling myself and the man above, sir, just let me do my job. Sir, just let me do my job. And that's, and he kept his word and I did my job and I'm still doing my job. You are. You retired in 1984? Yes, sir. And so for the last, wow, 30 some odd years? You've, yes, been, you've been you've been supporting others, still doing your job. Well, trying to encourage America to stand up and take part in itself. That is the promise. You um, you just gotten back in off the road, and, and when I talked to you Friday, you were headed out to a National Guard unit that was fixing to deploy. Yes, sir. What did you tell those young men and women? You don't lose till you quit trying. Go out and do your job, guys and girls. And you and do they, that? Uh, well, I answered a lot of questions. Cause that's <laughs> what I, I opened it up to question and answer. Right. And, of course, I had some really unique questions, and I gave them my answer. I opened <laughs> up my heart and let them look in. Um, what would be a question that opened up your heart and let them look in? <laughs> <laughs> Putting you on the spot. Oh, that's yes, all right. Um in uh you were awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor in 1968, is that correct? Yes, sir. November the 19th, 1968, one year and one day from the action. And that was by President Lyndon Johnson? Yes, sir. That's the footage that you see in the movie Forrest Gump. There you go. I knew we'd get around to it. I didn't know if you'd have to bring it, you'd bring it up or I'd have to. And that's what I say. You've seen Sammy Davis on your television screen. If, you, if you're like me, it was on most of the week. I forget what channel it's on, but Forrest Gump was running back to back to back. And I, <laughs> I had I had to tune in and watch. Uh, because when you see Forrest Gump or, or, or uh, gosh, I can't remember the actor now, Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. Uh, yeah. When you see Tom Hanks receiving the Medal of Honor, that's actually you with Tom Hanks' head on your body. Yes, sir. That's a fact. They just put my face or tom's face over my body over my head did you know they were going to do go ahead son those are your knobs on the back of your head (laughs) (laughs) a mother always knows (laughs) (laughs) did you know they were going to use your footage the pentagon called and told me and when they first called and told me they said well there's a uh production company here that wants any and all film footage that we have concerning you and i said well really well what they're going to do with it? Well, being it's a, a movie production company, we're taking for granted that it's going to be involved in a movie at some point. And I said, well, what's the name of the movie? Well, well we don't know. <laughs> and it took about, oh, two, three months before we got all the information. And finally, well, they called and said, well, it's the movie is going to be based on the book Forrest Gump. So I immediately went out and bought the book and read it the book is not like the movie okay book did not make my heart feel good uh but when the movie came out they had realigned the book and the the movie makes me feel very good and they definitely used you don't lose till you quit trying yes and and the the difference in the movie and your situation is you actually swam the river to rescue servicemen on the other side and brought them back across Forrest Gump stops on his side of the river 
Yes, sir. That's a fact. That is a fact. <clears throat> um, interesting little thing, and it says here in 2005, your metal was stolen out of the trunk of your car? Yes, sir. And you got it back a few days later? It was gone three nights, four days. And that was a long time period because I felt I'd let my brothers down because I had allowed my metal to be stolen. But the police department in Indianapolis, Indiana, came forth, and they worked 25 hours a day, and they got it back. It was gone three nights and four days. What does that metal mean to you? I mean, you've, you've got... You've got the Medal of Honor, Silver Star, and two Purple Hearts. What do those represent and mean to you? Well, it means I did my job to the best of my ability. The, the Medal of Honor is the honor, duty, honor, country that is in all of our hearts, and that's what that represents, it, the love and brotherhood that all the military shares. Coming up on the 4th of July, in fact, this will air July the 1st. Oh, excellent. And um, I always do a patriotic show. You're going to be on with um, another thing we do here in South Carolina called Salute from the Shore, where we have military jets from, it has been from Charleston Air Force Base to Shaw Air Force Base to McIntyre Joint National Guard Base. They fly the South Carolina coast from north to south. Everyone is encouraged to go out and red, white, and blue flags, go big, uh, show your patriots support our veterans both who have served who are serving who will serve i've had the privilege of seeing that and it is indeed a spectacular event it is and i i'm, I'm great that you've seen them what would you say in closing to anyone listening who is listening to this and would like to go forward what would you say to them i want to encourage everyone to stand up for what you believe is right in your heart and i'm not talking about political alliances i'm talking about america it to correct the problems that's in this nation it takes all of the american people working together and all of us standing up firmly for what we believe is right in our hearts and we don't lose till we quit trying so god bless everybody and happy fourth of july mr sammy davis it has been an honor i am so glad i look back over my right shoulder in atlanta and saw you, met you. Thank you for taking a few moments that day to talk to my daughter, Taylor. She's talked about you often since then. Thank you for taking time out of your day to be on Woods and Water, South Carolina. Um, I'm honored and, and absolutely speechless in my um, respect for you, sir. We'll give Taylor a hug for us. I will do that. Thank you. God bless you. And uh, keep you safe. Thank you, brother. Thank cool. you, sir. Welcome back to Fourth of July on Woods and Water, South Carolina. You know, I've had some, I guess, famous guests on the show, but I have never had a guest that I am more honored to talk to and introduce to you than one of the captains from the 79th Fighter Squadron called the Tigers from Shaw Air Force Base here in South Carolina. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Roger? I am doing wonderful. And, and, 
I said before, I am honored. I, I want to thank you first off for your service to our country. And oh. above that, thank you for coming on Woods and Water. Oh, no, I really appreciate it. <laughs> very, very nice. Um, I guess one of the burning questions on everyone's mind is, were you always interested in flying? Yeah, I mean, I guess the long story short, yeah. I grew up in uh, North Carolina. I'd always been interested in flying, but I didn't think, honestly, I'd qualify because I wore glasses when I was younger. Yes, yeah, sir. Yeah, so I'd like to let everybody know that I don't have 20-20 vision. You can totally be a fighter pilot in this Air Force. Uh, there aren't waivers that can happen. Okay. When, when you have that problem, do you just shoot what's in the middle, not uh, the ones on the outside? Yeah, they, they got some pretty neat techniques nowadays with contacts and uh, laser surgery that kind of help you out once you get in the Air Force. Very good. Yeah, exactly. Very good. Um, so you, you grew up here in North Carolina. You, you love to fly. I mean, what what's one of your favorite airplanes to fly? Yeah, so uh, joining the Air Force, I hadn't flown any previously. Really? So the Air Force has taught me everything I know as far as flying aircraft. Wow. I've flown uh, DA-20s, T-6s, T-38s, and I finally settled in on the Viper, which is the F-16, and obviously right. my personal favorite. That's your favorite? Hell yeah. I've got about 800 hours in it. It's uh, been pretty awesome. For wow. Hour. And for those of you sitting in a desk behind your chair, that's almost five months of going to work every day. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the J-O-B, uh, day and day out, Monday through Friday, and sometimes the weekends. But, yeah. Uh, I love it every second. You know, I have sat in the cockpit of an F-16 back in, like, the mid-'80s when oh, yeah. Shaw Fest was going on, and and you could climb up and sit in one, and, and as a, I was just a teenager then. Sitting in that cockpit, you could you could see a little bit of the nose out in front of you. Of course, the heads-up display, and I, had to, I thought to myself, this has got to be one of the coolest seats to sit in for a job. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely uh, flying. It's been an absolute dream. They talk about you strap into a Viper where other aircraft kind of fit into them. And right. Like that. It's small, it's lightweight. Uh, you knock them out one at 1.5 hours a day uh, in the Block 50, and uh, it's the best that uh, money can't buy. Uh, <laughs> that's just been a unique experience, and i like to thank everybody out there for helping me achieve my dream. Oh, it's, uh, we like to thank you for, for defending our country and representing South Carolina. Uh, tell us what you can about the F-16. Yeah, so uh, all the pilots refer to it as the Viper got a thrust to weight uh, about one to one meaning uh, vertical takeoff should be possible if required for some reason okay it's uh smaller so it's just got just enough gas to get to the target and back and while we're doing that we can altitudes of about fifty thousand feet 1400 miles an hour uh, if required last thing is additionally it pulls nine g's which is, can be a very intense and brutal experience i imagine that, yeah that puts my weight right around uh, 1700 pounds and my uh my nugget at 90 pounds so my head and all this wow. means that uh, it just hurts a lot but anyone between you and him uh, you'd like to be able to pull 90s. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. The difference between surviving and not surviving. Yeah, exactly. When you say your your body multiplies, can you explain to us just a bit how that multiplier happens? Yeah, I don't, so I don't want to uh, get too ridiculous with the science, sure. but long story short, while we're sitting here talking on the phone, uh, it's 1G is what you feel right now. So I weigh 185 pounds or so. Okay. And then uh, as you start to uh, turn or start to get into a bank of a turn, those Gs start to multiply. Uh, and then... At a given airspeed, the more G you can pull, the tighter you can turn. Okay. And hopefully you can turn inside the other guy and uh, potentially defend yourself. And your body just, that those G-forces just multiply the effective weight of your body. It does, yeah. So, like, if you see, if you ever end up being a fighter pilot after 9 Gs, you'll be able to look at his body, and there's going to be little needles all over his body. Okay. It's actually burst capillaries from all the blood pressure that's gone to the bottom of their, like, bottom of their arm, the sides of their chest. It's Ooh. pretty nasty. My mom wow. thought once that she freaked out. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of fun while you're doing it, and then afterwards you're sore. Okay, okay. So it's fun once, and then you figure it out. Yeah, well, then you got to do it again the next day. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, since uh, we'll get, we're going to get to the salute to the shore just quickly, but since none of us listen will ever know what it's like flying an F-16, punching an afterburner, playing around in the clouds, is it the, just the best adrenaline rush you've ever had? Yeah, so, I mean, like I said, we do 1.5 hours at a time, but as soon as you close that canopy and, and uh, you go to JFA start two, so the motor gets started there. Okay. Uh, I mean, the jet rumbles alive, shakes a little bit, lets you know it's alive. And okay. Then, uh, you get down, taxi down in a runway, they arm you up, so they pull the pins and you know it's time to go. So, air to air configured loads, she's light, rolls uh, pretty quick, and with the big motor, can sustain pretty well in dogfighting. Right. And you kind of mentioned you can barely see the nose when you're sitting there. Right. The Viz, the Viz in the F-16 is the best that I've ever seen. Okay. So my ability to sit in my cockpit and look out and see the enemy is better than, I think, anything out there uh, today. So combine that ability to dogfight with sustaining energy and that visibility, this thing will hold its own against anything out there. Uh, I love to see him. I love to hear him. I was down for the East Coast, East Coast Viper demo at Media Day, and just oh, yeah. I was in heaven, in heaven. Well, tell us, how is it that Shaw Air Force Base is participating in Salute from the Shore? Yep. Yeah, so, I mean, honestly, it came down from our leadership, and uh, I think everybody loves Fourth of July in America, so that's pretty awesome. So having the ability to take the Vipers down the coast and get a little face time with the public hopefully bolsters our presence to the public and let them know that hey, we're here and that we're standing ready for anything that, you know, essentially the government or the public calls on us ready to do. So, and then for me, it's cool because we get to express thanks to the support that we get from the public. Like yourself, you mentioned, uh, I appreciate all that support. Uh, plus, I get to tour the beaches. South there you go. Right there you go. That's pretty sweet. Will this be your first flight down the coast? It it, uh, it actually will be. Uh, there there is a couple of training opportunities out there, and I have done none of them. So this will be my first flight of South Carolina down the coast. That's gonna be awesome. Can't uh, think of a better to do it than July fourth. Well, I was just fixing to say that when I interviewed the uh, the gentleman from Salute the Shore, he said there'd probably be a million people on the beaches. Jeez. And if. Uh, you know, if a quarter of those have American flags, boy, I tell you, you will have no problem picking them out, will you? No, that's gonna be that's gonna be amazing. Be sweet. <laughs> now, I, I'm sure going down the coast, you're not gonna be wide open. What? Uh, how fast will you be going when you're going down the coast? Uh, yeah, we're gonna be holding back a little bit. Uh, the folks out there can expect they'll be doing what we call 350 indicated, which okay. means about 400 miles an hour. They'll be anywhere from about 500 feet above ground to about a uh, thousand, depending on uh, the traffic that's out there. Okay. Now. That uh, it's just incredible, and that's got to be a view that not only flying down the beach, but all those flags is going to be great for you guys. Oh, it'll be serene. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Is there anything you'd like to say in closing? Yeah, I just want to say, ladies and gentlemen, it's been a pleasure serving this Air Force for y'all. I'd like you to come out to the beaches of South Carolina, and as long as Mother Nature cooperates, I'll be out there. Thanks a lot. Well, we appreciate you. We appreciate the Air Force, all the armed services, and have a very, very, very good Fourth of July. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. Well, what a job. What a job. And I kid you not, when you are sitting in the cockpit to an F-16, there's nothing that gets in your way. The the, the body of the jet slopes away from you on either side. The nose is just barely visible. And, uh, wow, if you've ever ever sat in one, you know what I mean. If you haven't, chance you might never get now. Things have really changed, but... uh, we appreciate the U.S. military, not only for supporting Salute to the Shore, which is a private 501c3 organization. We appreciate him for providing the captain to come on Woods and Water South Carolina and talk and tell us a little bit about what it's like to be a fighter pilot. And I was down at the media event there for the East Coast Viper. And you can go to the Woods and Water South Carolina Facebook page and the website 
And I have put up some pictures from that day. And it was incredible. I'm a, I'm a runway junkie from way back. So it was, it was, uh, it was a day in heaven for me or a couple hours in heaven with the, um, you know, jets taking off, the afterburners, the, and like I said, the, the Thunderbirds are kind of the grandiose smoke trailing display for the U.S. Air Force. The East Coast Viper demo team is, here's what the F-16 can do in a fight. And, uh, they do it very well. Very, very well. So that was kind of cool. That's your, that's the 4th of July show here. I'm going to continue on with a little bit. We were talking about Francis Scott Key and, and how the flag came. And we had talked a little bit about the, um, the commander of the garrison there at Fort McHenry asking for a flag. And he said, it's my desire to have a flag so large that the British will have no difficulty in seeing it from a distance. So he hired a 29 year old widow and professional flag maker, Mary Young Pickering. Pickersgill of Baltimore, Maryland, to make a garrison flag, get this, measuring 30 by 42 feet with 15 stars and 15 stripes. Of course, each star and stripe representing a state. A large flag, but not one unusual for the time. Over the next six weeks, Mary, her daughter, three of Mary's nieces, a 13-year-old indentured servant, and possibly Mary's mother, Rebecca Young, worked 10-hour days sewing the flag using 300 yards of English wool bunting they made the stars, each measuring two feet in diameter, from cotton, a luxury item at the time. Initially, they worked for Mary's home, now a private museum known as the Flag House. But as their work progressed, they needed more room and had to move to Claggett's Brewery across the street. On August 19, 1813, the flag was delivered to Fort McHenry. Get this, for making the star flangle banner, Mary was paid $405.90. She received another $168.54 for sewing a smaller 17 by 25 feet storm flag, likely using the same design. It was this storm flag, not the garrison flag known, now known as the Star Spangled Banner, which actually flew during the battle. The garrison flag, according to eyewitness accounts, wasn't raised until the morning. There's your little bit of a history lesson. And hang on, we're going to take a break. Come back on the other side of more woods and water, South Carolina. Hi, I'm Reverend Armand Tomasian, the new pastor of Faith Free Presbyterian Church on Haywood Road, Greenville. I invite you to worship with us this Sunday evening at 6 p.m. as we continue our study through the Gospel of Luke. Expect to be encouraged and challenged as we expound the Scriptures and apply them with the help and power of the Holy Spirit. So if you don't have an evening service, join us this Sunday at 6 p.m. at 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville. an honor on Woods and Water South Carolina where we can talk to our armed forces both here in the state across the nation and again this year in conjunction with Sloop from the Shore we're interviewing Colonel Gandhi from McIntyre Joint National Guard Base we appreciate you taking time out of your day to be with us how are you doing great very good well I've always referred to even when I was a little kid to McIntyre as kind of our own little personal South Carolina Air Force Uh, but introduce yourselves to us Talk briefly about how you became part of the South Carolina Air National Guard. Well, I'm the vice commander for the 169th Fighter Wing, and we fly the uh, F-16 out of McIntyre Joint National Guard Base. We share the base with uh, the Army Aviation segment of the Air National Guard, excuse me, of the Army National Guard. 
And at McIntyre, they fly the AH-64 Apache and the UH-60 Blackhawk, and uh, they fly those in support of both federal and state missions. We fly the F-16 primarily in a federal mission. Okay. I've been a part of the South Carolina Air National Guard for the last 15 years, and instead of talking about really my story, I'd kind of like to talk a little bit about the story of the folks that we have out here, the great South Carolinians that uh, are serving uh, our state and nation. Sure. Most, I would say a good number, at least of the pilots, preponderance come from the active duty, but we do grow our own from within the state. You know, we'll have a, a young, highly motivated individual come in and go through an extremely competitive process to become a fighter pilot. Oh, wow. So, the fighter- so they can do that without having been military and coming in, right? That is correct. Wow. So it is an extraordinarily competitive process, and as a result, we get some of our finest citizens to come serve with us. Now, most of our pilots do have previous military background. Okay. Almost all of them will have previous fighter background. And uh, they come to the air. They come to the South Carolina Air National Guard for a variety of reasons. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, not everyone gets promoted to be uh, general officers in the active duty Air Force, and some people, frankly, don't want to do that, and that's perfectly fine. The United States taxpayers spent a lot of money training guys to do this job, and uh, this is a fantastic way to capture that investment and uh, have a ready force to go. I mean, we're effectively the federal militia in that context, ready to uh, serve when required by the government. I understand that. Uh, I know you don't want to talk about yourself, but just for just because I like to to make this comparison, how many flight hours do you have? I have a little bit more than 4,000 flight hours in the F-16. Which is, <laughs> for the ordinary guy like me who sits behind the desk, that's two years. <laughs> and it's always an amazing thing to think about how much time you spend, you know, in that cockpit. It's it's incredible, and boy, are you lucky. I agree. I'm very fortunate to be able to serve our great nation and state for as long as I have. I, I, I consider myself extremely fortunate, living the American dream. Yes, sir. Now, were you were you um, in the military before you came to the South Carolina Air National Guard? I was. I went to school at the United States Air Force Academy, spent approximately 11 years on active duty, and then transferred my commission to the South Carolina Air National Guard. Wow. I've been here for 15 years now. That's That's... The Air Force Academy, that's a beautiful place out there. Uh, rode by one time. My dad had a J-3 Cub, and, you know, the Cubs were pulling the gliders, and he was like, yep, that's where they start out, right there in the Cub. Um, that's the truth. Tell us just a little bit. I mean, you know, McIntyre has always been there. Uh, I remember as a kid going to see the Thunderbirds there when they were flying the T-38, so that's been a few years ago. Give us a little history of McIntyre and uh, and what their mission statement is. So the base uh, has been around for some time. It was originally called Congaree Air Base. The South Carolina Air National Guard was formally founded in 1946, and uh, they first drilled in December 1946, and that actually precedes the uh, formation of, the, of a separate Air Force by about a year. Okay. So uh, we've been here flying single-seat, single-engine fighters uh, since that day. We've had some support aircraft uh from time to time, and that's changed. Uh, Currently, we fly the F-16. We've been doing that since 1983. In the mid-90s, 1995-ish, 
we switched from the A model to the uh, latest version of the C model. We call it the uh, CJ. It's been redesignated a CM. That's mostly semantics, but uh, what that really means is that the aircraft has been upgraded, modernized to uh, have the most robust capabilities that we have in the Air Force, just alongside our uh, active duty brethren. And which are which are really just right down the street, literally at Shaw Air Force Base. Yes, they've got uh, three squadrons over there, and uh, you know we have quite a bit of combat air power here in the state of South Carolina, especially when you roll in the fact that you've got our Marine brethren down there at Buford uh, Marine Corps Air Station. You mentioned a little earlier that most of your flying is done for the on the federal side or the U.S. military side. Does does McIntyre have a a uh, statement for South Carolina, I mean, as part of the National Guard? So we get this question a lot, um, but uh, as far as what is the state mission for the F-16 in South Carolina, right. there probably isn't a really good one for that. But okay. uh, what we bring to the fight, and this is, again, kind of I, I see it as a bargain for the taxpayer because we can swing between a federal mission or supporting the state efforts. For example, Last October, when we had the devastating floods in the Midlands, many of our citizen soldier, citizen airmen were called to state active duty by the governor to serve in that capacity. So, honestly, not necessarily a militia like we're defending something, but uh, our airmen were the ones coordinating the rescues, coordinating the uh, resupply efforts, and uh, any air activities that took place in South Carolina during that blood response and of course the beauty of that is is they're trained for that they have that training to bring all that to the table in such an emergency just like the flooding that we had absolutely so if uh if if you have a need for air planners why not reach out to the folks that you have available to you who are experts in uh planning air campaigns absolutely Salute from the shore. Uh, I know this is their seventh year. I've talked to them for a couple of years now. How does it come about? Uh, last year they had the 20th uh, fly the coast. This year they're having the 169th from McIntyre. How does it come that the Air National Guard works with a 501c3 and salute from the shore and, and runs the table for them down the coast of South Carolina? Well, um, there's a process that the United States Air Force has where uh, if there is a significant event that's looking for some support from fighter aviation or military aviation, be it one of the uh, one of our sister services or the active component or the reserve component, um, th- there's a formal request process, and that is approved up uh, well above my pay grade up at the <laughs> headquarters Air Force level. I understand. Uh, is that the sound of freedom I hear behind you? Yes, sir, it is. <laughs> that is great. That is great. Well, we appreciate you taking part in this celebration of, of the 4th of July. Um, obviously, I don't guess you've ever flown this. What do you? What are your thoughts going into this? Because this is a, this is a big deal. I, from the pictures and the videos, there's a lot of red, white, and blue on the beaches. What are your thoughts going into it? Well, I think this is an opportunity for our citizens to see a little air power in, uh, you know, over their state uh, on the 4th of July. We're uh, celebrating the 240th birthday of our great nation, and 
pretty neat opportunity to be able to help be a part of that celebration in a state that is uh, incredibly supportive of our military. You know, you look back to uh, what we, our, our lineage for the 169th Fighter Wing, we call ourselves the Swamp Foxes, and we take that from General Francis Marion, who was uh, running around in these parts of uh, the fledgling nation yes. that was about to become the United States to uh, basically be a thorn in the side of the British, and he was quite successful at that. Well, I, I know during Desert Shield and Desert Storm, it always kind of gave me a little chill when you'd see the fighter jets taxiing on the runway, and you see that Swamp Fox emblem behind the cockpit, and you're like, yeah, those are our guys right there. Yes, sir. It's a, a very, very proud heritage that we have here at McIntyre, and, uh, you know, you take a look, uh, we've got 50-odd uh, pilots that uh, fly in the squadron, either assigned or attached, and they take that same pride and uh, just just proud to be part of that organization. In fact, we just celebrated the 70th anniversary of the squadron itself, and we had pilots all the way back from flying the P-51 on the original days at McIntyre uh, to our youngest lieutenant showing up into the squadron. And just to get that group of folks, that, that group of people who served their nation for as long as they have and continue to serve, we have a our retiree group is extremely active and engaged in supporting the activities out here and supporting the nation. Just uh, pretty neat to put that all together and be a part of that organization. It's long and enduring. You know, one of the advantages of being in the Air National Guard is that uh, we're a relatively static population. We, we're around each other for years and years, and there are pros and cons to that. But at the end of the day, I look back and I go, you know, we're part of something special, and it's pretty neat. That is that is absolutely true. Well, anything you want to say to anybody listening about coming out to the beach on July the 4th? Uh, hopefully it will be a beautiful summer day in South Carolina, and uh, I know that we're just one component of the uh, flyovers that will take place, that there's a, a bunch of heritage. I would, uh, you know, as, uh, the, as our citizens are out there looking up at uh, air power in demonstration, you know, you'll see the fighters, and then uh, you'll also see a lot of the heritage. And as you see the heritage aircraft go by, think back to the prices paid by those who went before us in the air and on the ground, the prices being paid by the folks who are deployed overseas right now, and uh, realize that uh, a lot of our citizens have family and friends out uh, protecting us. And uh, enabling us to go out to the beach and watch some airplanes fly by and uh, celebrate the 240th birthday of America. And that's what I hope that they do. Realize that it's not just a day off and a party, which it should be that, because that's how you want to celebrate the birthday of our nation. Right. But uh, to remember that there are many people out there standing watch to, to give them those freedoms. Well, Woodsman, I can speak for only... One guy and his family and a radio show with Woods and Water, South Carolina, is behind you guys every day of the year. I think we've got a lot of that support. I think you over do. Here in South we appreciate it. I think you do. Well, Colonel Gandhi, thank you very much for taking time out of your day to be on the radio with me. Um, good luck flying down the coast. I hope to be down there myself, waving a little red, white, and blue to you. And uh, as always, happy Fourth of July. Thank you very much, sir. You have a great day. You did the same. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that show. It's always good to know where you come from and talk to some of the guys. Anyway, next week, Land Tawny, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. Until then, 
Make time to get out there. Take the back roads when you can. Don't forget the camera. Back with more Woods and Water South Carolina next week. Hit me from behind. Yes, I'm gone to Carolina. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 